passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Yesterday, I was, um, I was doing a couple house projects, including trying to fix this piano bench that our children broke like three or four years ago and finally deciding to get around to it. We've just known no one is supposed to sit on that thing, um, or if you do sit on it, sit at, on it at your own risk. And uh, I, so I had to take all of this stuff out of the, the seat itself, including some old hymnals and, and whatnot, a number of things that, that we actually got that came with the piano bench that we inherited from Crystal's grandmother. And uh, so there's some music in there and, and a number of other things. And then there was this little booklet. Um, I don't know how old it was. It was pretty old. Um, but it said something like, how can you recognize a good church? Or how can you recognize a healthy church? And I'm like, hey, this is actually pretty interesting. So I flip it open. And one of the first things that it says is um, the importance of Scripture. And I th thought to myself, okay, well, this is decades old. And yet this is extremely relevant still to this day. And uh, this morning, we're going to be talking a little bit about the importance of Scripture. And I, um, as I was working on this sermon, I, I told Crystal, I, I, don't really, I, I don't really know how to convey just how much I love the Bible. I, I can look back at the last 20 years of my life as a Christian. Uh, not quite 20 years, but uh, the last 20 years of my life and how God has used the Scriptures to transform my life. And, and when I think about just how precious the gift of God's word is, that God has given us his word, that he has chosen to reveal himself to us in his eternal word, it, it brings me to the verge of tears. And when I think about the fact that, that God, he's not only given us his word, but he's actually in his infinite goodness has decided to, to also give us Bibles in English, that I don't have to learn another language to be able to, to, to encounter God through his word. I, I'm, just, I'm just left in awe. And, and when I think about the fact that God has, has revealed his rescue plan for humanity, and, and, and he put it on paper thousands of years ago, and yet it's still relevant today, just as relevant as it was when the ink was, was wet. I'm just overcome with gratitude. God, to this day, uses his word to assure us, to correct us, to comfort us, to strengthen us, to transform us. Yes, to rebuke us at times. And, and it's just, I'm so thankful that we have a God who actually cares about us, that he has given us his word for all of those things. And as I look back again at the last 20 years of my life being a Christian, I, I can see how my life is really a testament or it, it's, it bears witness to, to what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, about the importance of, of what God's word can do in our lives. It says, all scripture is, is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It is a good gift for each and every one of us. And, 
And through his word, God has, has, has taught me what, it's, what he is like. He's, he's taught me what I am like. In many ways, the Bible has been a, a mirror to me. It's actually revealing to me things I don't really like to see or to, to notice about myself. But, but there they are as I, as I encounter God in his word. But it's also taught me what he is like and has, has uh, corrected misunderstandings of, of what God is like. Exodus chapter 34 tells us what God is like. God himself is speaking to Moses and says this, The Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So God uses his word to, to correct within each and every one of us wrongly held beliefs of what he is actually like. The world has no problem with the idea of God, or at least most of the world doesn't have a problem with the idea of God, but it has a radically different picture of what God is like than what is revealed in the Bible. We, in our culture, says that, that God helps those who help themselves, and yet scripture says something completely different. Ephesians chapter 2, God, it shows what the, the type of person that God chooses to help. Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in your sins, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God also uses his word not just to teach us what he is like, not just to correct wrong views of what he is like, but also in the same way that a surgeon uses a scalpel to cut this cancer out of our hearts, these, these wrong approaches to life. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thought and the intentions of the heart. It may be painful, but it is life-giving. And through his word, God has actually shown me what it is like to live a life that is worth living. That's what he's really referring to, Paul is referring to, when he talks about this, this idea that Scripture trains us in righteousness. What type of life is actually worth living? Psalm 119, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I love the Bible. And as I look back at the last 20 or so years of, of how God has been at work using Scripture to change me, to transform me, I know, Lord willing, that there's, there's still a lot of work that God has to do. And God willing, there are decades before me of teaching, of reproof, of correction, of training in righteousness, of how to live. And God has been doing that for millennia. He uses his scriptures to teach people, to transform people, to teach them what it's like to actually live a life following Jesus. 
And I think apart from God giving himself on the cross, Jesus, and giving the Holy Spirit to us to indwell us, the scriptures are God's greatest gift to the church. And so what I want us to do this morning, because we as a church take the Bible so seriously, I want us to just unpack Paul's statement here at the beginning, the beginning of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. This phrase, all scripture is breathed out by God. What exactly does it mean for us? All scripture is breathed out by God. The scriptures are really important for us here at Crosswinds. Our number one, our, our, our first core value as a church says this, we believe relevant expositional Bible teaching, and then I would say by extension, Christ-centered worship are the backbone of a healthy church. That's the foundation for really all that we do here at Crosswinds. We believe that God can, God does use the Bible to transform lives. If you look around, you can see that that is the case in in countless lives around you. And so as we're working our way through 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're at this morning. I want us to just take a a week and and, and kind of step back from the specifics of, of what Paul is arguing here in this chapter and look specifically at how Scripture informs a faithful life. Remember 2 Timothy as a whole, Paul is writing to Timothy, he's about to die, and he says, hey, this is what I want you to to have in mind as I am leaving on how you can also live a faithful life, that you you can persevere to the end. And what we see is that the scriptures are essential for that. Notice what he says, verses 16 and 17 of of chapter 3. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. With what purpose? That the man of God, the person of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. So that's what Paul is is arguing, that if you want to be faithful to the end, the scriptures are the key. But what specifically does Paul have in mind when he says that all scripture is breathed out by God? That's what I want us to look at this week. Next week, we're going to go ahead and look at the specifics of of these four things that he says in verse 16, and then also this this end goal that the scriptures will uh, be at work so that we can be complete so that we can be equipped for every good work. But this morning, I want us to just simply dive into this statement. All scripture is breathed out by God. What exactly does that mean? And then look at four implications of the fact that God has breathed out the scriptures for us. So as we jump into this, um, this passage and we really unpack this phrase, let's, uh, let's pray for God's presence to be with us. Well, Father, um, I... I join the psalmist in Psalm 119 saying, how I love your word. And yet the reason that I love your word is because that's, a, that's an extension of, of love for you. God, we love your word because it is in your word that we are able to encounter you. And we ask that you would, through this book, that you would use it to help us to be a people of the book who establish our lives on the firm foundation of your revealed promises in Scripture. 
God, as we, as we look at this text this morning, as we look at your word, we ask that your spirit would give us eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would help us to marvel and to wonder at the promises that we have in Scripture, that we have a God who has not left us without hope in this world, but who has spoken to us, that we might respond to the glorious gospel. Thank you, Jesus. Bless this time now in your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to start with this, this phrase, breathed out by God. After that, we'll look at four implications. But first, I just want us to see what exactly does Paul have in mind when he says that all scriptures are breathed out by God. And so to answer that question, what does this mean? I want us to answer another question first. How does God reveal himself to his creation? In other words, how does God make himself known to people, to humanity in particular? Well, one of the ways that God does that is through his creation. This is what we call general revelation, natural revelation. It's because it's just general. It's available to anyone and to everyone. This is what the psalmist is describing at the beginning of Psalm 19 as he's, he's looking into the heavens and he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pour out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words where their voice is not heard. So the beauty of creation transcends this spoken language. It transcends the language that we use with our words. The sense of majesty, the sense of awe, the sense of wonder that we get when we are standing before the ocean or while we're soaking in the rays of the sun or while we're marveling at the beauty of the sun and the moon or when we're smelling flowers or when we're even just watching a child take their first steps, all of those point us to a creator. And this is a language that, that all of us whether it's consciously or, or unconsciously, understand that there is a God who speaks, and sometimes he's shouting, sometimes he's whispering in his beautiful creation. How else does God reveal himself? Well, if we look at the beginning of the Bible, before sin breaks creation, before there's this massive gap between where God is and where humanity is, God reveals himself face to face. Genesis chapter 3 tells us that God would oftentimes take walks in the Garden of Eden, and the implication is that he would take those walks with Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3, right after Adam and Eve eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we see that God shows up in the garden for one of these walks that he would take with his creation. It says this, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The implication, of course, is that God has been doing this for a long time. Before creation broke, this is something that God would do. Before sin, God had no need for any special form of communication with humanity because he did it face to face. Genesis chapter 2, God tells Adam face to face, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But that all changes. This face to face interaction changes when humanity rebels against God. And Genesis chapter 3 tells us that God exiles humanity out of the garden because there, now there is this, this cosmic gap between God and humanity. And if they were to see God face to face again, then it would result in their death. And so for their own protection, he sends them out of the garden. But before he does that, before he exiles them, he actually gives them a promise. God is he's, he's cursing the serpent who leads them astray and gives 
Adam and Eve this promise through this curse. It says this, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and yet you shall bruise his heel. So when God is speaking to the serpent who has seduced humanity, he leads them into rebellion. God reveals that he has a plan. He has a plan for rescuing his broken creation. And for millennia, this is the only form of revelation, the only specifics that God gives to humanity of how he is going to rescue them. And yet this promise is the foundation for the hope that, that springs of, of following God. In fact, Genesis chapter 4 tells us that there's a small group of people who base their entire lives on this promise. Genesis chapter 4 tells us that they are those who call upon the name of the Lord. They cry out for God to bring the promised rescue of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 4 tells us, To Seth also a son was born, and he called him Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And so even here, at the beginning of the Bible, the beginning of human history, we see the majesty of natural revelation. We see that God has revealed himself in nature to his creation, but also its inadequacy. Now that that creation has broken with sin, natural revelation or creation is inadequate to reveal to us what God is like. The oceans, they might inspire worship, but they will not address the sense of drowning in your life because you were just overwhelmed with so much that's going on. The mountains, they might inspire awe in your life, but they won't do anything with that overwhelming sense of guilt in your life that weighs down your soul. Now, deep down, every single one of us knows that we need a rescuer. But we don't know anything about that rescuer unless God reveals himself and his plan to us. And that's what God does in the scriptures. That God decides to reveal himself to us. He reveals exactly what he is like. He reveals exactly what his plan for saving people, for rescuing people is. It's the story of the gospel. That's what the scriptures really are. We say that God speaks through the scriptures because that's exactly what he does. He speaks in a way that is unique, that is special. And so when Paul says that all Scripture is breathed out by God, he's telling us of their origins. The Scriptures find their origin in God. He is the divine author. In other words, the Scriptures communicate exactly what God wants to communicate in the exact way that God wants to communicate it. I'm going to say that again. The Scriptures communicate exactly what God wants to communicate in the exact way that God wants to communicate it. The Scriptures are not the words of human authors that that God looks at and says, hey, you know what, you actually did a pretty good job. I'm actually going to borrow that and and, and take that and and say, you know what, that's that's about me, so we're going to go ahead and use that. That's not what happens. The scriptures are not a group of writings that that the church got together and said, hey, you know what? We actually like each and every one of these, so let's go ahead and make these the most important books about God. No, the scriptures, they find their origin in God himself. 
But God doesn't just dictate the words to dozens of authors of these various books throughout the Bible's history. Sometimes he did. Sometimes in the prophets, we see this phrase, thus saith the Lord, or thus says the Lord. And it's a very specific word from God given to the author of that book and exactly how he wants it to be communicated. But many times, the Holy Spirit uses the unique voices, the unique personalities, the unique experiences, the unique situations of human authors to communicate exactly what he wants to communicate. This is why when you're reading the Bible, you can read the different Gospels and you can see, well, there's so many similarities and yet they, they sound so different. Why is that? Well, it's because John was different than Mark. Matthew was different than Luke. They were writing to different people and God uses them both. Peter is describing how exactly this works in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says this, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. It's not as though someone just sat down and said, I want to prophecy. I want to write down scripture. No, that's not what happens. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what exactly does this look like? Well, Peter tells us that they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that this isn't just something that happens for prophecies, it happens for the totality of Scripture as well. He's referring back to a psalm that David wrote, and he says this, and as Jesus taught them in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet." So in some mysterious way, David is writing this song, and yet the Holy Spirit is actually the one who is guiding him, the one who is using the words that he puts onto the paper to say exactly what he wants to communicate in the exact way he wants it communicated. And I think we can be okay with the fact that this is, in some sense, a mystery, because it's not beyond belief. If we really believe that the sovereign king over all of creation, whose thoughts and ways are so much higher, so much beyond our own ways, that he is able to communicate timeless truths through the experiences of human authors should not surprise us. He's the Lord of all the earth, the Lord of all the heavens. Nothing is too powerful or too strong for him. Just take 2 Timothy as an example. Paul is nearing the end of his life. He wants to ensure the faithfulness of the next generation of church leaders. And so as he is writing from this persecution, and while he's writing from prison, he writes this letter to his beloved friend Timothy. And he's not doing it being coerced by God through this. God is using his circumstances, using his experiences to communicate timeless truths. Exactly what God wants the church to hear through the pen of Paul. And here in chapter 3, verse 16, Paul is stressing that the scriptures, all of the scriptures, all of them, God speaks in them. It's not just a record of how God spoke generations ago, millennia ago for us now. God still speaks today. God still speaks today, and that is an incredible, glorious gift that God has seen fit to reveal his will, that he still sees fit to speak to people today. 
And that's the significance of these words. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Every word, every phrase, every page is exactly how God saw fit to communicate. And if that's true, there are some implications for that, aren't there? So in the rest of our time, I just want to consider four implications of this truth that God has spoken in the Scriptures. God has said exactly what He wants to say in the Scriptures and consider the implications for us today. These four implications can be summed up in an acronym. That's the way I learned it, at least. Um, It's SCAN, all right? S-C-A-N. So that's the acronym. Each letter stands for a different truth about Scripture. That's an implication of the fact that Scriptures are breathed out by God. So let's go ahead and start with the first. And this isn't an order of priority. It just is the way it works with SCAN, right? So, first one is this, sufficient. The scriptures are sufficient. Or another way of saying that is the scriptures are enough. In other words, in the scriptures, God communicates exactly the way he wants to communicate, exactly what he wants to communicate. And if that is true, then they are enough. This is what Paul has in mind in in verse 13 of chapter 3 in 2 Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So because scripture is breathed out by God, it is enough for us. They are sufficient for us. You will never need to go somewhere else for more assurance. You will never need to go somewhere else for a greater understanding of God, for a clearer revelation of God's will. If you want to know what God's will for your life is, you don't have to go to a prophet. You have to open your Bible. And if you want to know what heaven is like, you don't need to go read a book about a vision of heaven. You need to open your Bible. You want to know how to faithfully live in these last days. You don't have to read all of these other books. You need to read your Bible. Specifically, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 4, it's a great place to start. Now, I'm not saying that other literature is wrong, not at all, but these things, they might be supplemental, but they will never replace the sufficiency of Scripture, because the Scriptures are enough. They're not only sufficient for us in living out our life today, they're also sufficient in revealing to us how we can be saved in the book of Acts, Paul is ministering in Philippi. He's thrown in jail. And this earthquake happens, and the Philippian jailer um, actually, through a turn of events, comes to faith. And, and uh, his words, when he's cut to the heart by the Holy Spirit, his words are, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas, they don't say, Well, here's half of it, and then you've got to go somewhere else for the rest of the story. Or, here's, here's the starting blocks, but good luck trying to reason your way through the rest of it. No, they say exactly what the gospel is, because the gospel, the scriptures are sufficient. They are enough to tell us of salvation. So that's the first letter. The second one is the C in scan, clear. The scriptures are Clear. So not only do you not need to go anywhere for the message of salvation, you don't need to go anywhere else to to understand how you can be saved 
or how you can live a God-honoring life, but actually that God's revelation in the scriptures is clear, that it is understandable. Now, that's not to say that there aren't parts of the Bible that uh, aren't confusing or aren't difficult to understand. I'll be honest with you, I still don't really know what Genesis chapter 6 verse 4 is talking about. I have some ideas, but I'm not completely confident about what that is. I'm not also saying that we don't have to understand Scripture in its context. What, when we say that the Scriptures are clear, we're saying that the Bible as a whole isn't a secret. It isn't hidden from you. It's saying that when we look at the Bible, if we spend enough time in the Scriptures understanding it as a whole, then we will begin to see the message of the Gospel. That's what Paul is writing to Timothy in a verse before this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So if you spend enough time in the Scriptures, you will see... The story of salvation, because it is clear, God's people can understand it. The scriptures reveal to us God's plan for salvation through faith in Jesus. Of course, the implication for us is the more that we study the scriptures, the more clearly we can see that plan of salvation. It seems like every, I don't know if this happens anymore because I, we don't, we don't have um, TV, but um, it seemed like when I was growing up, every five years or so, there was a book that came out or there was a, a documentary that came out about like the Bible code or something like that, that if you just took the seventh letter of the seventh word of the seventh line and the seventh paragraph of every seventh chapter or whatever it might be, if you, if you took that, that, that letter and you combined them all together throughout the entire uh, and did that from Genesis all the way to Revelation, you get a secret message from God. And, and most of the time, according to these Bible codes, it had something to do with the um, current events of the day. And, and this approach might be well-intentioned, but it's completely missing the point. Because what it's saying is you have to have this special interpretive key to know exactly what God is really talking about. And that's not what we see in the Scriptures. God's message is clear. We can, we can find it out that God has given us the tools. He's given us the Holy Spirit to understand, and we don't need this special mathematical formula to be able to understand the message of the Scriptures. This is actually one of the hottest topics throughout church history. 1400s, 1500s, 1600s. The, the printing press was uh, created, invented in the 1400s, which led to an explosion of copies of the Bible. Before that, and if you wanted a copy of the Bible, it had to be handwritten. And so, as you can imagine, they were, they were relatively rare, right? You had to write the entire thing by hand. And yet, as the printing press is invented, Bibles are now able, along with all of this other literature, they're now flooding the market. And so, a lot of questions begin to, to be asked. Can regular people this is a serious question. Can regular people understand the message of the Bible, or do they need someone, like a pastor, to tell them how to interpret it? There's a man in England in the 1500s. His name was William Tyndale. He literally gave his life for this effort. Not only did he believe that the Bible was clear enough for anyone to understand it if they spent time in it, but he also changed the English-speaking world forever. Forever. 
by translating the Bible into English. And one time, he was, he was actually having this debate with this fellow pastor of that day, and, and this debate was on whether non-pastors should actually be able or allowed to read the Bible. And this, this other pastor was saying, no, that shouldn't be the case. As he's working and giving his life for this translation of the English language, this is what he responded to that man. If God spares my life long enough, I will see that even a boy in the field shall know more of Scripture than you do. Why? Because he believed that the Scriptures are clear, that God has spoken in a way that we can understand. Have you ever taken a moment to marvel at the fact that God has given you a Bible in your language, in the language of your heart. That to learn more about God, you don't need to learn a second language. You don't need to learn a third language in order to understand him, to read the Bible. That in fact, here in the English-speaking world, God has given us multiple translations to choose from. And at the heart of that is this belief that God, in breathing out the Scriptures, has spoken in a way that is clear. That in revealing himself to humanity, to you, he was clear. And if you pick up a Bible, you will encounter the message of the gospel. So that's the second implication of the fact that God has spoken in the Scriptures. Third one is an A, authoritative. The scriptures are our highest authority. If you look at the scriptures, more than 3,000 times, more than 3,000 times, we see some form, not, not this exact phrase, but some form of thus says the Lord, or the Lord said. It is a declaration, there's this implication that in the scriptures, God speaks. That God has spoken in the scriptures. And the scriptures, they communicate the authority of God himself. This is also implied in the way the Bible talks about other parts of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 13 says that anyone who is claiming to be a prophet must have their words measured against the words of scripture. Why is that? Well, it's because a prophet can be wrong. They can deceive, but God will never be wrong. God will never deceive in his word. And when the two disagree, the word of God trumps the words of men. Mark chapter 7, Jesus is condemning the scribes and the Pharisees because they have neglected the commands of God. In other words, they've neglected the, the words of Scripture so that they can live out these traditions of men. And the only reason Jesus' condemnation makes sense is because God's word trumps the words of men. The scriptures are our highest authority because God himself is our highest authority. That he is the sovereign king over all creation. And the word of God is his very word. Peter Jensen is a theologian, and he puts it this way when he's describing the inseparability of God's word and God's character. He says this, In human relationships, words have an indispensable role in revealing and bonding. When we say we trust another person, we trust what they say. When we obey another person, we obey what they say. It is both incoherent and insulting to say that we trust a person that we do not trust their words, 
or to say we will submit to a person, though not to their commands. So what Paul is saying here, he's talking about scriptures being breathed out by God, that they find their origin in God, that if God has truly spoken them, then they are the highest authority because God is our highest authority. And, And Paul says that this is true of all scripture. It's not just the parts that are easier for us to stomach. When we begin to take scissors to God's word, keeping some parts but but not keeping all of it, God's word no longer has a place of highest authority in our lives. We do. Because we're the ones who say, well, this is still relevant and this part isn't anymore. The scriptures are our highest authority because God is our highest authority. One final area, one final implication in necessary. The scriptures are necessary for salvation. They're necessary for salvation. As beautiful as nature may be, as much as it might inspire us to worship, it does not reveal God's plan for salvation. Romans chapter 1 tells us that nature may reveal God to us, but not for salvation. Actually, Romans chapter 1 tells us it's for judgment. It's only in the scriptures that we see God's plan for salvation. Now, when we say that the scriptures are necessary for salvation, that can be a little bit confusing. We can draw some wrong implications of that. So let me unpack what that means. That doesn't mean that you have to read your Bible in order to be saved or to understand the gospel. But don't use, that's not what that's saying, but don't use that as an excuse to just say, I don't really actually have to read my Bible. It's also not suggesting that every time you share the gospel with a family member or with a friend or a coworker or a neighbor that you have failed if you don't just start reading the Bible to them. That's not what it's saying. What, don't take this too literally. What it's saying is that God's plan for salvation is revealed at long last in the Bible. It's not revealed in nature. It's not revealed in the Quran or or some other religious text. It's not revealed in the reasoning of a secular manifesto of this present age. It is only revealed in the Bible. That there are not many paths to God. There's only one, and that runs through Calvary, and it is at long last revealed in the Scriptures. Jesus' 12 disciples, they they understood this. John chapter 6, we're actually told that many of his disciples began to turn their back on them because they thought that Jesus was just asking too much of them. John chapter 6, verses 66 through 69 says this, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So here's Peter, and he's, he's speaking for the rest of these 12 disciples and says, even if we wanted to walk away from you, even if we feel like you are asking too much of us, we can't walk away from you. It's because you alone have the words of eternal life. But we cannot find salvation anywhere else. But the scriptures are necessary for salvation. God has given us his word, and in it he still speaks. 
And if there was one simple truth, that just overarching truth of this text this morning, it's simply this, just treasure the gift of God's word. Treasure the gift of God's word that God saw fit to speak and to reveal himself to humanity. And that God did so in a way so that we can respond to the message of salvation with repentance and faith. Ask yourself, do, do you treasure the gift of God's word? Do you see it for the gift that it really is? I'll admit, a lot of times I don't. Even though I, I love the Bible, there are times where I don't really see it truly as the, the good gift that it really is. Do you run to it? Do you saturate your life with it? Do you marvel at the fact that the king of the cosmos not only speaks, not, not just to a, to a select few, but he speaks to anyone who would take up this book and who would read it. Earlier I mentioned William Tyndale said he gave his life for this commitment to get the scriptures into the hands of regular men and women, not only to do that, but to do it in their heart language, in a language that, that, that was their common language. And as he was being executed for this commitment to the scriptures, his final words were, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Open the eyes of the king of England. What a beautiful prayer. A beautiful prayer. One that I ask that would be true of each and every one of us. That God, you would, you would open our eyes to see this marvelous gift of your word. That you would open our eyes so that we could see you more clearly, that we could see your glory more fully, that we would be able to see the beauty of your salvation more fully on display, that you would open our eyes, God, to more fully treasure the gift of your word, that you would open our eyes, that we could cry out with the psalmist, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. Treasure the gift of God's word, church. Let's pray. Father, this is such a gift. And I know I take it for granted. I, I don't even know how many copies of the Bible I have in my office. I, I know many times I, I don't marvel at the gift that that this word is, that you have spoken. Thank you. God, help us to be a people of the book, of a people who dive deeply into the, the riches of, of who you are and what you are like and, and what this world is like as revealed in the scriptures. Help us, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.